Greetings and welcome to the Recombobulation Area podcast edition. My name is Dan Schaefer. Milwaukee is going to have an election for mayor. In less than two months, we'll have a primary. And on April 5th, we will be electing a new mayor. Tom Barrett, our mayor of more than 17 years, was unceremoniously confirmed as the ambassador to Luxembourg on the evening of December 16th. Cavalier Johnson became the acting mayor on December 22nd. And since then, we've seen new policies and proposals from some of the top candidates. One candidate has left the race. Other candidates are joining the race. And this is all pretty discombobulating. Joining us today to help us recombobulate is someone who watches more City Channel than anyone outside of City Hall, Jeremy Janine, the president and co-founder of Urban Milwaukee. Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I like to think I also sit through more meetings in person than any sane person, I guess. <laughs> uh, you watch City Hall with a, with a particularly uniquely close eye. <laughs> if I lean back in my seat right now, I can see it as well. So, and that was that was good audio content for the listeners. Yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll pull that clip only uh, this, for for this audio podcast, just so we can uh, get a sense on that one. But we've got a mayor's race. You've been writing a whole lot about it. I, I noticed that we are here talking on December twenty eighth, which is a day we both had circled for a while uh, as a potential cutoff date for when we would find out when this election would be. And we should even clarify that it's the morning of December 28th, based on what happened yesterday. We had some morning and evening news. That's right. That's right. We should be very specific about the time that we're recording, because uh, anything could change at any moment here. But uh, we're, it is December 28th, and we had that day circled because that was the cutoff day uh, for when we would find out when this election would be. If, if Tom Barrett were to be confirmed after today, uh, then it would be kind of an open question as to when uh when that election will be but he has been confirmed as the ambassador uh cavalier johnson has taken the reins as acting mayor and now we have the most competitive primary this city has seen for mayor in a generation less than two months away um where do you want to start with this (laughs) let's let's discuss it today with the assumption that it is a nine-way race Officially, if you go to the Milwaukee Election Commission, as we're recording this, there are seven candidates listed, but we had State Senator Lena Taylor announced she was in for sure yesterday. So it's just a matter of paperwork there. And then Chris Larson announced, State Senator Chris Larson announced uh, last night that he was strong, and I'm quoting, strongly considering running, which seemed to be all but a for sure indication that he was it. So that, that gives us nine candidates. Yeah. Are there a lot of situations where somebody strongly considers running and then decides against it? It seems like if you're strongly considering it, you're, you're, you're in. I think so, especially if you're strongly considering it in verbatim posts on Twitter, Facebook, and probably other social media platforms. That's right. That's right. Uh, so we have a nine-way race. Uh, we've had one, one candidate who we thought was going to be in the race for a while, uh, State Representative Daniel Reamer, uh, has dropped out of the race. Although he, you said he, you reported that he did declare, right? Yeah. So he, the way I discovered it is I've had this, uh, the Milwaukee Election Commission prepares this nice Google Doc, and I just happen to be clicking around in my browser, and I have so many tabs open that often it refreshes. I accidentally clicked on it, and his name disappeared, and I was like, "Oh, what happened there?" So immediately I started making some calls. It seems like other reporters in town encountered the same thing, and he was out. Uh, family commitments. He's got two really young kids at home. And I, d- I don't blame him for not wanting to be gone for that long. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so it definitely changes the the dynamic of the race just within the past week here of the of the candidates that we uh, knew were running. Um, and so it, you mentioned Lena Taylor joining the race. Uh, I think that's probably the most significant piece of news uh, on the the overall dynamic of the race, considering that she was. Uh, she she won in the primary in 2020. She was on the ticket against Tom Barrett. Uh, she's a well-known politician here in Milwaukee. Uh, what do you make of her joining the race at this stage? It's it's so tough to say, like when you divide the pie by eight instead of seven, what, what changes? It's really tough to say. I think there's this knee-jerk uh, reaction probably to break it down by race. To look at the two most prominent Black candidates, Lena Taylor being Black as, as well. We have acting mayor Cavalier Johnson. We have Milwaukee County Sheriff Ernell Lucas, but they, uh, despite Johnson and Lucas kind of having, I don't want to call it a, a pro law enforcement platform because that's not technically what Johnson's doing, but a, a pro public safety platform. I, I don't think Lena Taylor is necessarily courting exactly those same voters. Um, we have another strong candidate in Alderwoman Marina Dmitrievich, which is apparently a tongue twister for me. Uh, we have former Alderman Bob Donovan running. You're starting to slice the pie in really weird ways. And I would hesitate to make an exact prediction other than to say every new prominent name we see is just more chaos coming in. And it's it's really unclear who's doing well even right now. Right. I think, you know, we it, when you take a step back and just look at it that way, um, you know, we I think um, I think this is going to be a wild primary. Uh, you know, once we get to the general election, who knows, but I think the next, what is it, just about six weeks, really even, right, uh, that we have between now uh, and the February 15th primary, uh, these candidates are going to have to hustle. Uh, so I think some of those candidates you mentioned that have a little bit greater name recognition, Lena Taylor, uh, you know, Ernell Lucas won, it was, was the county sheriff, he won a countywide race. Um, so I think some of those candidates that have name recognition are going to have some advantages in the primary. But it's it's also, you know, it's tough to see where um, how this is going to unfold uh, over the next few weeks. Yeah, we have in, not that I'm counting. We have 49 days until the primary. We have another a very key date. And I think this one's actually going to shrink the field. There's a January 11th at 5 p.m. date where candidates must turn in a minimum of 1500 signatures. So the amount of chaos, I'd like to say, will will slow after that date. I'm sure that's not true because then we know exactly who's on the ballot and then the competition really heats up in different ways, but the, the field might shrink on January 11th. Right. I think that is an important date. So we have, I think we've mentioned most of the candidates here, but you've also reported on a couple of candidates who have not uh, held elected office who, who might be, I don't know, let's say they're fighting a little bit more of an uphill battle to get those signatures by, by that date. Who are they? Yeah. Let, I'm going to read through all nine because I have them in a nice list here and that way all the listeners know who we, where we are at. We have Acting Mayor Cavalier Johnson, Alderwoman Dmitrievich, Sheriff Lucas, former Alderman Bob Donovan, uh, State Senator Lena Taylor, and for our consideration, State Senator Chris Larson. Then we get into those, those three interesting candidates that are outside. We have uh, entrepreneur, small businessman Michael Sampson of Swarm Events, who is running a very public campaign. He's very uh, active on Twitter and other social media platforms right now saying, hey, sign my nomination papers. He is a first-time political candidate. We have activist Nicholas McVeigh, who this is at least his second time running for office. He ran for alderman before. 
And then we have a virtually unknown educator, Sheila Conley Patterson, who has run about as quiet of campaign as you can. And I'm interested to see what happens there. So we have uh, mostly a, a lot of names that folks in Milwaukee who follow politics will know, and then a, and then a few people who um, will, I suppose, will be watching on that January 11th signature date to see if they will uh, pass that first test. Yes, and I, I mean, there's other names I'm really interested in seeing what happens. Like Bob Donovan's kind of been out of the limelight. One of the interesting things, if someone uh, wants to do some uh, social media scanning, look at the comments on Bob Donovan's Facebook page. They're all like, I'd vote for you, but I live in Florida now. Has his political base left the city? That's something I'm very interested to see what happens. We know Bob Donovan himself left the city briefly for a condo in a southern suburb. Yeah, I think with, uh, I think, you know, he ran in 2016 uh, and got less than 30% against Tom Barrett in the race for mayor there after winning in the primary. Um, and I think, you know, since 2016, we've probably seen some of the demographics and shift uh, in Milwaukee, uh, particularly as it pertains to the residency requirement. And I think that also might uh, cut into his base when it, when you talk about some of the more law and order, tough on crime platform that you'd expect Bob Donovan to run on. Um, you know, perhaps some of the police officers, uh, members of law enforcement who may have backed him in the past uh, might not be living in the city anymore. Yeah, we've seen that play out just tremendously with the changing southwest side of the city. The, there's been a lot of good coverage from multiple outlets on the census data and what it shows in the areas that were traditionally the, the Donovan strongholds have very different demographics now than they did 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think his uh, district on the Common Council, uh, the representative there is now Jocasta Zamaripa and showing kind of a, a growth in the the more Latino South side uh, of the city as well. Yes. So Cavalier Johnson is now the acting mayor and he took a pretty interesting first step as acting mayor uh, once he was sworn in. Uh, could you walk me through what happened there? So he, even before being sworn in, he said, my first thing is going to be declaring reckless driving a public crisis, a public safety crisis. Uh, there's some nuance that it can't be a public health crisis. And I, I actually don't even know the nuances of that, but it, it's not putting it as a public health crisis. It's a public safety crisis. He has a multi-pronged plan to uh, address it. And there's the three E strategy out there, engineering, enforcement, education. He has a plan that addresses all those things and then goes beyond that into monitoring progress. Um, there's a, a STAND is a beautiful acronym he came up with and it's so beautiful, I don't actually remember what it stands for, uh, but there is uh, on his website and on the city website, there's details about what that is. He's creating a new position in the mayor's office that's supposed to put those three E's into effect, coordinating between the police department and the Department of Public Works and other entities that are involved in abating reckless driving, but his focus, uh, he says, is he's laser focused on addressing reckless driving. Obviously, a big issue in Milwaukee. I think you know the, um, you know, it was it was an issue that was bound become to come to the forefront of this campaign uh, in some way. With just given the news lately, uh, I think everybody in Milwaukee has you know, experiences to point to where they've uh, seen some pretty bad cases of reckless driving. Uh, 
uh, you know, I live on the west side of town and we see the Milwaukee slide just constantly uh, with people passing uh, at stoplights on the right lane um, or in, through turn lanes and bike lanes. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's going to be a big issue. I think it was interesting to see how many how many different partners uh, that Johnson had kind of working with them and unveiling that plan just on day one. Uh, he had a number of people with him at that press conference where you where you were there covering that, right? Yeah, there was, uh, and it reflects the broad focus of the initiative. And I have it in front of me now, so I'll give you what STAND stands for. Safe street design, traffic enforcement, accountability, neighborhood engagement, and demand progress. And what he rolled out at the press conference at the Next Door Foundation on Capitol Drive near the Midtown Center in the middle of the city, uh, he was joined by representatives of the police department, the Office of Violence Prevention, the Wisconsin Department of Transportation, the Department of Public Works, uh, and a number of community representatives, including Jordan Morales, who went as far as creating a uh, traffic circle with leftover barricades in the Sherman Park neighborhood. Yeah, Jordan Morales, uh, our, our friend on Twitter, who is who is pioneering some tactical urbanism, I think is the way he talked about it. Yeah, it, it's just a, a fascinating thing that the city has rolled out, uh, you can get speed humps, you can get all these different implementations, but they take a long time. And people are clearly fed up enough that they're willing to just, I'm going to go do something myself. And that's just, I'm going to not fully block the intersection, but force people not to be able to speed through it. Right, right. Very interesting stuff. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit more about Cavalier Johnson and his history on city in uh, on the Common Council. Uh, and how he kind of came to be in the position that he's in. You wrote a piece at Urban Milwaukee. I would recommend everybody check it out called the titled The Incredible Rise of Caval Cavalier Johnson, uh, where you kind of walk through his his history as a candidate in Milwaukee. Uh, and I don't think, you know, uh, looking back at about, about a decade ago where he was at, uh, I think people might be surprised uh, that, that he has ended up where he is. Um, can you Tell me about that piece. Tell me about his his history. Just it's really just an, I mean, I call it the incredible rise of Kevlar Johnson. And it really is. Ten years ago, when Urban Milwaukee was a relatively new outlet, there was this county board candidate going by Chevy Johnson at the time that was going to run. And it was a five-way race. And he finished fifth. He got 171 votes. And I kind of thought, well, that might be the end of it. And then in 2012, he ran again for a different seat. Uh, he got sixth that time, so you might be like, that's worse, but it was out of seven candidates, uh, so maybe you consider that better, but it was just like, what? This guy is incredibly nice, he seems well-versed in issues, but maybe politics isn't his thing. And then he went to work for Mayor Tom Barrett, he also worked at the organization that's now Employ Milwaukee, and he was clearly just biding his time. In 2016, an open seat emerged on the Common Council. He ran for that and he won. It was a close race. He only got 52% in the end, uh, but he had got a seat is frankly just a better seat than on the county board. It pays better. There's more, I'd say, power in city politics in terms of what the board or the common council is legally empowered to do. Especially now with it being full time compared to yes. the county board. Yeah. Right. He, there's a considerable pay difference. Even when the board was full time, the council paid almost 50% more. Uh, but he was a quiet legislator for a couple of years. I think his signature thing, he was, a, he was an avid champion of not banning plastic straws, but by default, not having restaurants hand them out. He had a ban on uh, conversion therapy, uh, a very pro-LGBT and pro-common sense policy. 
and he was just a quiet guy. But I was getting these rumors that, you know, he's, he's kind of lining up things behind the scenes to attempt to become council president. And it was one of those, well, well, we'll see when we get there things, but he showed a shrewd understanding of politics because when he was reelected in 2020, he ran unopposed, I believe. He, his colleagues elected him common council president. Effectively, he cast the deciding vote for himself, eight to seven, but it was a bit polarizing because he, uh, Johnson, who is black, uh, upset uh, Alderman or then common council president, Shanti Hamilton, and actually none of Johnson's black colleagues voted for him to become uh, council president, but he hasn't ruled and ruled uh, in quotes, not a great, uh, it's not a huge power position. It's not an iron throne or anything like that. But uh, he handed out committee chairmanships to some of the people that didn't vote for him. He's kind of been a bridge builder, a fence mender during his time on the council. And now by default, when the mayor of Milwaukee resigns, the common council president automatically becomes mayor. And he finds himself uh, in the pole position, I guess, for lack of better description, in the mayor's race. Yeah, I wrote about uh, the mayor's race, too, and I, I wrote about, uh, you know, I think he's the, he's the front runner, probably the early front runner in this race. We could obviously this could obviously go in a lot of different directions. Um, but I think given his position as acting mayor past this common council president, um, you know, and kind of that, uh, you know, uh, position as a bridge builder, uh, I think is is an attractive one to voters as well. Um, so he he represents the the second district, I believe. Right. Correct. Uh, and that is the northwest side of the city. Yeah, it's a it's a slice of the northwest side of the city. Milwaukee is a weird city to describe geographically because it yeah. seems like two thirds of the city is really the northwest side. That's if true. you wanted to get a sense of his city, it's kind of that area just beyond Sherman Park, the Midtown Center, and Capitol Drive is actually the southern border of his district, okay. and it stretches up towards Silver Spring. It does not get, to the best of my knowledge, the entire way to Silver Spring, but kind of this northwest slant from about 50th and Capitol towards say 82nd and Hampton. So it is a it is a majority black district, right? Uh, right, but it is not, it is a majority black district. It also has uh, part of the city's growing Hmong population. Mm -hmm. uh, it has many different dynamics at play. It is far from the most impoverished district, but it's also very far from the most wealthy district. It's one of those districts that if you had to sum up Milwaukee demographically, you might look at that district as, it's got a good cross section of the city. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and so he was he was able to, you know, kind of build support with, um, you know, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about that, that common that council president vote, uh, because I think that's an interesting kind of point in, in his history as a as a politician in Milwaukee. Um, so like you mentioned, none of the other um, black members of the common council voted for him for that. Is there a reason for that, you think? Or is it just that Ashanti Hamilton had that position and, and people were, you know, backing his, uh, I guess, re-elections there? Yeah, so uh, the council president for the individual that is the council president, they get by default a raise and they get at least one extra staff member. So for, for why do I want to be council president? Well, you get more power, more money, you get more staff to help you. Uh, but for why do why would I vote for someone over someone else? Well, the council president can unilaterally hand out committee chairmanships. Mm -hmm. And so Ashanti Hamilton himself actually had a polarizing vote in 2016 when he upset Michael Murphy and he did it with an unusual coalition. He had the black council members backing him. And then he had the three uh, more conservative Southside aldermen in, uh, and I'm 
Boy, I get my news. <laughs> Mark Borkowski, Bob Donovan, and Tony Zielinski at the time backed him. And that, that was unexpected. But part of that was because Michael Murphy had stripped uh, the council president before that, had stripped them of their chairmanship. So they wanted their chairmanships back. That's where a lot of power comes from on the council. They moved to Hamilton, and Hamilton gave them those chairmanships back. Johnson entering the race, you know, threw the checkers board up into the air because it wasn't quite clear what he was going to do. But the, at the same time, there were new people you mentioned before. Joe Costa Zamarupo replaced Bob Donovan on the council. We had Marina Dmitrievich replacing uh, Tony Zielinski on the council. So that, that voting block that Hamilton used to get his power no longer existed. Johnson, I think, realized well before it actually happened that that was going to happen and started kind of building those bridges to figure out, hey, if I give you the chairmanship of this, will you back me? But what you saw is a number of the Black council members, they didn't all lose their chairmanships. I believe there's just a belief that that was going to happen. There's, you know, the, de the deck chairs got rearranged and uh, like Malaylee Coggs ended up chair of licenses still. Hamilton ended up chair of judiciary and legislation, but they weren't, they didn't have those chairmanships before. It was a big shuffle of the council. So Johnson wisely uh, found the ways, pathways to the politics there. So he found, found a way to thread the needle, I guess, with... Uh, yes, that's a better phrase, much better phrase. <laughs> tried to, he found a way to, you know, kind of appease people who did not necessarily vote for him, which I think is a is an interesting decision when you're thinking about, um, you know, him stepping into that top job as mayor and what what some of those decisions might, uh, his past decisions might, might dictate for, for what he might do uh, as mayor of Milwaukee. Um, what do you think would be some of the criticisms that people might throw at Cavalier Johnson? Uh, you know, if he's the front runner, people are going to uh, find ways to criticize him. That's the case in any, any race, right? I think probably his, his, it's really tough to say his biggest weakness is perhaps what some might view as a strength and that he's just a nice guy. I know that was a label Mayor Tom Barrett got hit with, and he said he absolutely hated it because if someone was calling you a nice guy, it meant they weren't complimenting you in a different way. Uh, Cavalier seems like a, a very thoughtful person, but he's, he's not going to be one to rock boats, at least not publicly. And that's one of those things we, we don't really know what his leadership style is behind the scenes. He's shown uh, great strategy in assembling the votes for the Common Council president. And what the comments he's made publicly are that's his approach with the state is these Republican legislatures, hey, I'm a Democrat, but I'm going to work behind the scenes and in, in front of the stage to kind of address the city's issues. And so while his colleagues have been uh, kind of trashing the state at various points, trashing the Republican legislature, he's been like, no, 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 I want to be the bridge builder here. I want to be kind of hearing everyone out. And I don't know how well that sits with voters. It's hard to say if that's the right tactic to take with the state, but it is the one he's using. Yeah, that's interesting. I think another, you know, candidate, recent candidate we saw run on a similar platform was County Executive David Crowley, who ran as a bridge builder in 2020 as well. Um, and, you know, Crowley and, and Cavalier Johnson have have worked together on a number of local control related issues with um, uh, w with the state legislature as well, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and it's important to note that those two are friends going back to their days at Bayview High School. Crowley is an 04 graduate, Johnson is an 05 graduate. Interesting. A lot of history there. Um, Certainly is. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about some of the other candidates. Um, 
Marina Dmitrievich has, has been, you know, kind of, she, she's been running for this race for a while and she's, she's been a top candidate, uh, that people have been discussing. Uh, she has an important position at city hall as well. She came out with a proposal responding to some issues regarding the COVID-19 pandemic over the past week, uh, proposing to, uh, proposing some greater testing availability, uh, in the city. So, uh, and she has been, you know, she's been a fixture of Milwaukee politics for some time. She was on the county board for a while. She was the county board chairwoman. Uh, I believe the first woman to, to hold that position as well. Um, and, uh, so tell me about, uh, what she's been up to on the council and, and what she's been up to since she's been running in this race. So she's only been on the council since April, 2020. And that's weird. She's always been on the council in a pandemic, uh, that it certainly changes the nature of her relationship with her colleagues and everything like that. She was one of the people that wisely aligned herself with Johnson in exchange for a committee chairmanship. And she's been chair of the public safety and health committee. And she's been prominently focused on the health component there. She's been pretty vocal on the public safety component as well. You hit on her proposals that she announced last week, which was to make each of the city's 13 libraries have uh, a stock of rapid testing uh, equipment available that people could go grab a kit and bring it home. Um, she's also, I know, working on a proposal. We saw very long lines yesterday, uh, very long lines at the COVID testing sites. She's concerned that, hey, the city is gonna close those again over the New Year's holiday. Let's not do that. We saw those long lines. So she's publicly pushing on that. She's been unafraid to publicly spar and privately spar with the Milwaukee Health Department Commissioner Kirsten Johnson over things like the mask mandate. She championed it. Uh, Johnson wasn't part of the city at the time it was instituted. She said she supported it, but then Dmitrievich called for it to be reinstated and Johnson opposed that. So it's very interesting dynamics at play there where Kirsten Johnson was uh, supported by Dmitrievich when she was hired. Kirsten Johnson, no relation to Cavalier Johnson now uh, serves under Johnson, but is she for, at the city for the long haul? Is she respected by all the candidates? That remains to be seen, and that's true for a lot of department heads as well. Uh, Dmitrievich, yes, you hit on her political history. She was the youngest uh, woman ever elected to the county board in 2004. As we'll note, Cavalier was still in high school at that point in time. Uh, all kind of, I mean, Bob Donovan was already a long time alder at that time, so there lots of different dynamics at play in this race. She served as the county board chair. She then stepped down from that when the board became part-time to work for the Working Families Party, trying to elect progressive statewide. Uh, she's had a, a very prominent political history in the city and the county. Yeah, absolutely. And I think she, you know, like Johnson would, you know, Johnson or Lucas or, or Taylor, any of the, the black candidates who'd be running in this race would, would make history as the first black mayor elected in Milwaukee. Dmitrievich would also make history as the first woman mayor elected in Milwaukee, which I think is uh, important point to to note as well, um, and I think you know if you're if you're thinking about what her uh, where her position would be in this race, I think she probably would run to the left of Cavalier Johnson. Is is that a fair characterization? Yeah, it, it's so. So this race is nonpartisan, so no one formally declares a party. So that that makes it a bit weird at first, but it's it's tough to. I mean, we haven't discussed this, but I always think of like, what's partisan about garbage pickup? Uh, and <laughs> we haven't discussed this. I mean, the, the, it, no issue about garbage pickup has come up in the race. But there's one thing looming that I'm sure is going to come up, like snow plowing. Does someone have a different strategy on snow plowing? And I think within a matter of minutes, we might see the city's first snow plowing effort of this winter. 
will candidates be critical? What is going to the left on snow plowing? I, I don't have the slightest idea. I think it's fair to characterize her campaign as trying to go to the left. She's been very big on things like leave um, for um, new parents. She has a proposal working its way through on that. Uh, so yes, I'd say strong labor, not in the sense of unions, but strong supporting workers um, policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, um, uh, you know, I think you mentioned before some of the, when she was reviving the the proposal for the mask mandate, I think there were a number of the city's more progressive groups that were that were backing her as well. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if if she gets the endorsements of, of a number of those groups or the, the backing of some of those groups. You mentioned she was with the Working Families uh, Party in, in her, her past as well. Yeah, and she has already the endorsement of, I think, four or five of the nine members of the Milwaukee School Board. I, I wouldn't call that the most powerful group of political decision makers in the city, but that that is very notable that that group of people is already out there endorsing her. Yeah, so I think she's a top candidate. Uh, and then... Sheriff Ernell Lucas is, is I believe, going to be one of the top candidates here as well. Uh, you know, obviously running and, and winning a countywide race is, is no small thing. Um, but I got to be honest, his candidacy is the one I have, have the hardest kind of figuring a, a path for. Um, well, what do you make of his campaign so far? I, I have many thoughts. I think, one, you hit the nail on the head there. It's like figuring out the path. But yet at the same time, and conversations I'm having kind of, we'll call them off the record conversations, but private conversations with people that are like, man, I think it's Lucas and someone else, or it's, you know, Dmitrievich and either Lucas or Johnson, or it's, there's all these conversations and Lucas's name always seems to be getting through the primary in their conversation. And then you go, well, would you vote for him? And like, no, they just assume other people are going to vote for him to push him through. One of the weird things about Lucas is that he largely became sheriff and again, this is a weird, like, is there a left-right-ish thing on being a sheriff? Uh, he kind of ran to the left of the existing sheriff. Everyone is expecting him to run to the right kind of of the other candidates here using his law enforcement experience uh, as an asset. What's going to happen? I don't know. One of the things I know he's doing well, he's an East Side resident, and he's doing well with East Side donors, it appears. Uh, at the same time, I look at fundraisers' uh, photos, and this is... If you're, if you're interested in Milwaukee politics, check out their campaign websites for all the candidates and look at the photos of the people um, at the different photos from the fundraisers. Lucas had this fundraiser at Building 42, the Milwaukee Brewing Company. And I was looking at the people in the photos and I was like, well, you're a prominent person, but you don't live in Milwaukee. You're a prominent person, but you don't live in Milwaukee. Like he might get a lot of cash, but not a lot of votes out of that. And in a race that's probably going to take at least six figures to win, maybe that really helps them. But again, we're, we're back to the point of who's voting for him. And I'm not saying no one's voting for him. Mm-hmm. They're just not that public person out there saying, hey, I'm voting for Ernell Lucas right now. Yeah, yeah. That's just, do you think endorsements are going to pl- be a, a big factor in this race? I actually do, because I think when you get the field more divided, if you see an organization or a name you trust saying, I'm backing this person, that could really guide you in a certain way. At this, it, it, I say that with the context of I think endorsements have meant less and less recently with you being able to go more directly to the candidate with social media on the web. But I think with this case, there's at least nine candidates. You might be like, oh, yeah, this organization is backing him or, or my neighbor is backing him very publicly. I'm on board with that. At the same time, if the endorsements get too diluted in for the context of the primary, they might not matter much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What's I your think, thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, I think it's going to be important too, just given the tight timeline of this race. I mean, you know, obviously, like I mentioned before, I think name recognition is going to be an important factor, but I think, like you said, if you have, you know, prominent organizations that you tend to back or align with or whatever, and you see them, you know, endorse a certain candidate, I think that's going to matter a lot in this race, especially for the primary. Um, you know, I think once we get kind of the, the two candidates on the ballot in the general election, uh, that's a different dynamic. Um, but, but when it comes to the primary, like, you know, any little bit is, is going to help, uh, with this, with this big field that we've got here. Um, so I, you know, I wonder who's, you know, I, when we were talking about Lucas, I wonder if, uh, if he's going to pick up some, some key endorsements or things like that, because I think, I think it also signifies like kind of what the kind of coalition you would be building is. Um, and I think that coalition building aspect is an important one for a mayor. I think so. There's also one thing to watch for with endorsements. Some people might ask to not be endorsed by certain groups. Uh, we discussed the, the presence of police officers moving outside of the city. Well, do you want to be tagged with the police union's endorsement? That's, I think, a question that a number of candidates might have to face in the coming weeks. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so as we as we keep going through the list of candidates here, um, who else jumps out to you? Well, I, I have a kind of what I think is a top five. I had a top four, then it was down to three, and there's people bouncing around. But assuming yeah. Chris Larson is in the race, I have five candidates who I think are have a, a very large head start. I can't put them in any respective order, but they are Cavalier Johnson, Marina Dmitrievich, Ernell Lucas, Chris Larson, and Lena Taylor. And the one interesting name that's not on that list is Bob Donovan. I kind of talked about before where his base seems to have retired to Florida or moved out of the city. Uh, so I'm, he, he can run a good campaign. He's done it at least once before. He's always won re-election for Alderman when he ran. He just, he didn't lose his seat. He just gave it up, didn't run for re-election. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I don't see him in the top five at this point. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think, you know, I've heard some people theorizing that maybe he could make it through the primary as, you know, kind of that law and order, tough on crime candidate and who has a fair amount of name recognition. But I think Milwaukee also likes a winner. And I think if you're looking at Bob Donovan's candidacy, I think if he if if he were to emerge from the primary, I think the other candidate is guaranteed to win because Bob Donovan was not able to get 30 percent of the vote vote in 2016. And like you mentioned, a lot of the, a lot of his base has shifted away from the city or just shifted in general. Um, and I think, you know, let, like hypothetically, let's say if it was Bob Donovan and Cavalier Johnson who emerged from the primary, you might as well just make Cavalier Johnson the mayor because Bob Donovan's not winning that race. Um, I originally thought there was this pathway that, yeah, Donovan comes out of the primary and has very little shot in the general election for just Built-in, he has this built-in audience, but that audience isn't going to grow. I think that platform breaks down when the race gets divided more because there'll yep. be a lot of candidates. I mean, you could get through the primary in this race with like 20% of the vote, 15% of the vote, which is, is just going to be wild, which maybe that in some ways gives Donovan a leg up. But I think Donovan's strength was always running against Tom Barrett. Well, now he can't run against Tom Barrett. He's got to run against this whole wide field, which includes a sheriff, uh, includes uh, acting mayor who's made public safety and reckless driving his number one focus. Like those are those are stealing levers Donovan can pull. Yeah, and I think 
like you said, if there's, you know, if there are voters out there looking for that tough on crime candidate, there is a sheriff on the ballot. So I think that, you know, may pull some of his votes as well. So I think, I think you're right to keep him out of the top five. Um, you know, it, we're still kind of processing the news of, of Taylor and, uh, and uh, Chris Larson, you know, uh, potentially considering uh, entering the race. Um, but I think both, both candidates, what they have in common is that they've run for races outside of their district before with maybe not so much success. Um, you know, Larson ran for county executive twice and lost to Chris Avely twice. Uh, lost to David Crowley once. Oh, David, David Crowley once. Oh, sorry. Lost to Chris Avely once, David, lost to David Crowley in 2020. Um, and Taylor ran for county executive in 2008. Is that right? Correct. Against yep, Scott, Scott Walker. Walker. And lost pretty handily in that race. Right. Um, which is really something to think about. Uh, and, and then lost pretty handily for in the race for mayor in 2020 against Tom Barrett. Uh, obviously that was a, that was a very weird time to be ha having an election right at the early weeks of the pandemic, but it still was not a very close race. Yeah. Wh whereas Chris Larson and David Crowley were on the ballot at the same time, that race came down to 50 to 49.5, like basically as close as you can get. Right. Right. And I think it was what about a 25 point margin that, that Barrett won by. I'm suddenly blanking, but yes, it's in that range. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, but, but like you, you mentioned, she, you know, if, if 20% gets you through the primary, you know, she got what 36, I think percent of the vote on in, in 2020. Yeah. I, I 37 is for some reason sticking out in my head, but we're splitting hairs at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I think that that name recognition that someone can bring and the knowledge of how to assemble that campaign, that's going to be huge. But what I, what I do wonder is, say Chris Larson, he, he activates his network that he used for county executive. Well, you know, he really represents the same area Marina Dmitrievich does. Has okay. he already lost some of that network? Uh, similar issues could play out for Taylor with other candidates, you know, even Cavalier Johnson is trying to build this new network. These people that he thought might have been in his corner, like is he? Oh, they're already on Lucas's team. There's, there's going to be a lot of fracturing of uh, what you previously looked like big coalitions of people. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So as we go forward here, um, what is what do you feel like are some of the top issues? What are you going to be looking for between now and February fifteenth? There's a lot, a lot of different things I'm looking for. One, every time it snows, I think Cavalier Johnson is going to be up all night because a bad snowfall, it could make him look really bad. He could end up in front of cameras trying to defend himself. He is at the same time working very hard to look very mayoral right now. He's scheduling way more public appearances than Barrett had recently. And, and there's probably logical reasons Barrett wasn't appearing publicly while he was praying that the U.S. Senate would confirm him. But Kevlar Johnson's going to be at the health center later today. He was at an event yesterday. He was uh, helping distribute food Friday morning. He's he's been very publicly out there. He's been very publicly out there with uh, County Executive David Crowley, who we discussed before as his friend, that he's acting mayoral. He's being with other leaders. He's talking about working with Republicans because the state city's future largely relies on state support. Uh, Marina Dmitrievich is working very hard to carve out a niche as the most health conscious, health, the, the smartest person on a pandemic response. And so we're in this point where the pandemic is raging. How does that influence the race? If things continue to get worse, 
is there going to be a natural inclination to hate the person that's been warning us for so long that we need to take this seriously? Let's go towards her. Uh, Sheriff Renal Lucas, he's got lots of uh, potential issues that could come up in terms of what could happen at the county on his watch, um, but he's largely avoided a very public fracas of any form while he's been sheriff for a couple of years. Those are all kinds of things I'm watching, but there's, I think, I call it the Black Swan event. I'm borrowing that from um, an author whose name eludes me at the moment, Nicholas Tlaib, uh, that I think what's going to decide this race by February 15th is something that we're not even thinking about now, a big issue that comes up that all the candidates will respond to differently and one will emerge from. Yeah, it's it's a lot of unpredictable, a lot of unpredictable factors. You mentioned things like the weather and the pandemic as potentially playing a role here. And then, you know, there's always going to be some sort of unforeseen uh, issue that could that could crop up in a campaign like this, too. Yeah, I think Johnson right now is related to something that happened in October is getting sued by the Black Panthers and Brown Beret leaders for what, what seems to be a fairly frivolous lawsuit. But it's like one of those random issues that isn't it isn't related to the core issues of being mayor all of a sudden comes up and the narrative kind of derails your campaign. And mm-hmm. I think all the candidates are probably one trying to create a narrative for themselves in a crowded field, but two trying to avoid getting derailed. Lots to consider, lots to consider. So um, uh, any other just kind of big picture thoughts that you have on this race about, about Milwaukee holding its its first competitive primary in so long? I, I don't think we're appreciating the extent to which the pandemic is at this point likely to alter the race. We're on this trajectory where things are getting worse, where it's become optically more difficult to schedule public events. And February 15th isn't that long away that these candidates, like, are they gonna be doing all these public appearances? I mean, if you look at a place like Chicago where public transit use is really high, like Rahm Emanuel, most of his campaigning was he went to different L stops and he just shook, shook hands as people were getting on and off the train. Mm-hmm. Like where in Milwaukee can you do that to get in front of a lot of people? Well, that leads you to money, to access, to buy TV commercials, online ads, you know, Chairman Spencer ran a very successful campaign running YouTube ads. We're then going to need lots of money. We haven't seen those campaign finance reports out yet. Uh, I believe there is one due at the end of the year that'll trickle out sometime in January. But I, I think seeing someone raising a lot of money could help them raise even more money. And part of that is, I think, to the appeal of people I've talked to about Ernell Lucas is he could put a lot of money into the race himself because he is wealthy from his time uh, working for Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the financial component is will definitely be one to watch. Absolutely. But I think you touched on a, a really interesting factor, which is, you know, are candidates going to be knocking doors? Are they going to be, you know, shaking hands? Are they going to be out doing these public events? Uh, if, you know, the pandemic continues to continues to get worse, I think you saw, you know, perhaps a similar dynamic with that last uh, or a year ago in the fall 2020 election. Um, when you saw, you know, more of the Democratic candidates kind of go virtual, some of the more Republican candidates uh, still did a lot of in-person campaigning. And I think that was an underrated factor uh, in some of the results, uh, you know, in, in things like the state assembly and state senate races uh, that year. And I'm going to talk. Oh, go ahead. I think it was a factor in the, in the April election as well, when you were talking about 
you know, Crowley versus Larson and, and um, uh, you know, just the final weeks of, of that campaign uh, being just kind of at the early onset of the pandemic as well. And the pandemic could become an issue itself. I talked about it from Dmitrievich becoming kind of a pro, more aggressive response from a mitigation standpoint. But we have to remember that Alderman Robert, former Alderman Robert Donovan held a mask burning rally. So <laughs> is there a base there that he could turn that into a wedge issue somehow? That remains unclear. I mean, he, he beat the streetcar to death last time. I'm not sure that's gonna be much of an issue in this race. Uh, thankfully, that's one last thing we need to talk about that isn't really related to how the city functions on a daily basis. You don't want to have another streetcar debate define the <laughs> mayor's race? <laughs> I, I'm good. We can argue about something of substance. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll look forward to doing that uh, over the next uh, 49 days uh, as this city has, uh, you know, experiences something that it hasn't for a long time, uh, which is an open primary. Um, you know, you look back to, I think, 2004 when Tom Barrett was elected. Um, you know, you didn't really have a situation like this either. Um, so. And one thing to keep in mind based on the Barrett experience, he actually didn't, he, he won the primary in the sense that he came out of it, but he finished second. Yeah. Uh, don't take the primary results as the indicator of, well, that's for sure how the general election is going to play out. Uh, keep an open mind that those two candidates can very easily flip flop positions. Absolutely. That's important. Okay. Uh, Everybody should be following Jeremy's coverage of the race at Urban Milwaukee. Uh, we'll be writing about it as well at the Recombobulation area. Uh, Jeremy, thank you again for joining me. Thanks for having me. Glad I could muddle through half a thought. <laughs> Appreciate it. Talk soon. Thanks. Bye.